0: morning. Morning. All right, here we are. That song they just read, I don't know if Brian made that clear, that's an original song. They wrote that song just for today. Is that awesome? These guys are incredible. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Well, by the way, we're going to talk about Psalm 34. I just want to share another resource with you. Um, If you don't read the church's devotionals, uh, that come out every single week. They are amazing, and I love this week's. Um, they're written by Catherine McNeil, who is leading our team of devotional writers. But one of the things when you read somebody else, you know, after I prepared all week for the message, and then you read somebody else's take on it, it's so refreshing, and it's like, wow, I didn't even think about that. So I really encourage you, you could download those on our website or in our uh, Wheaton Bible Church app. They're really fantastic. If you need encouragement this week, um, please use that as a great Resource. So uh, Psalm 34, the reason I like this psalm so much, I mean, you know, psalms are great, but this one is great because we know the background. We know why David wrote this psalm, and I love that. It makes it, one, it makes it a lot easier to preach when you know why things are written. But you remember when you were um, a kid and um, you, want, you would go, when we were kids, talking to you millennials. When we were kids, we would actually have to go to a store to buy music. All right? You guys remember that? Like you'd have, you couldn't just like get the music. You had to like get out of the house and you'd have to go to Tower Records. Remember Tower Records? That was awesome, Tower Records. And you go to Tower Records, you'd have to buy a thing called an album right? And, and so, you know, the vinyl, remember the vinyl? When I was in high school, you know, the first um, album I bought when I was in high school was um, U2 War, right? I like U2 way before any of you, just so you know. <laughs> I'm the biggest fan ever. And I, you'd buy the album, you'd take it out, you'd throw the album on the stereo, and then you'd take out the liner notes, right? You'd, the thing that the album came with, and sometimes it was just like one little you know, sheet, and it just had the words. But the really good liner notes were like the words and who wrote and then why they wrote the song. There'd be a story and who was it dedicated to. And if you were a real fan, you didn't just memorize the lyrics, but you memorized the liner notes. So when you're sitting at lunch at school, you could say, no, no, do you know why Bono wrote that song? Let me, you didn't read the liner notes. I'm a fan. I'm a super fan. I'll tell you why right? You couldn't just go online like you can today and get like all their messages and videos of what. It was that liner notes were, those were important, right? That that, that was a big deal. We have liner notes for today's song. We do. We have liner notes. It, it, It enhances the song. Horatio Spafford wrote, it is well with my soul, right? We sing that song all the time, it is well. With my soul, and we sing it over and over again, and, and tears start to come down my eyes because I know that Horatio Spafford, who wrote that song, was actually a Chicagoan. He, he, he. A um, you know, hundred years ago, he was invested heavily in real estate in Chicago, and then the Great Chicago Fire came and nearly wiped him out. And then two years later. Um, The uh, economy tanked, and that nearly wiped out the rest. And then he sent his four daughters and wife on a ship to Europe, and the ship crashed at sea into another ship, and all four of his daughters were killed. So when you sing, It is Well With My Soul, that's the song he wrote upon hearing the news that all is lost from a telegram that his wife wrote to him. Liner notes, they're powerful. We have liner notes for today's story, Psalm 34. So I want you to turn to the liner notes of Psalm 34, which is actually in First Samuel chapter, 19, or chapter 21. And we just did a whole series on David last year, right? And, and so we, we preached about this already, but I, but you know, we forget things. And some of you might not have been here that day, and some of you might not be familiar with the story of David. So I'm going to summarize like, you know, a lot of years in just a few sentences here, just so you get the context of why Psalm 34 was written. So, Israel wants a king. God says, you don't need a king. Israel says, we want a king. God says, you don't need a king. I'm your king. People said we want a king. And God says, fine, I'll give you a king. So Saul becomes king of Israel. Saul was a really good king for like five seconds, right? And, and it just didn't, it went south in a hurry, Right. God raises up a new king. His name is David. He's the smallest of his his family. And David becomes great when he slays Goliath. It's that same David, right? So then David gets bigger and bigger, and he becomes more and more famous. And Saul says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. This guy's too famous. I don't like him. I think he's trying to overthrow me. And one day, Saul takes a spear during dinner and throws it at David. David says, I think you're trying to kill me. David goes to his best friend, the son of Saul, Jonathan, and says, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, he's not. David says, yes, he is. Jonathan says, no way. And David's like, yeah, way. He's trying to kill me. And so they um, have devised this plan, and, and Jonathan does, okay, you're right, David. He is trying to kill you. And so David's like, I have to go. I have to run. He's trying to kill me. And if he's trying to kill me, everybody's trying to kill me because he's going to tell every army, every, every um, mayor of every city in the land, every shepherd, everybody who's willing that if you find David, kill him. So I've got to go. And so there's it's a beautiful story. So you should take time to read that in chapter 20. But in verse chapter 21, we find David on the run. He is now the fugitive running from Saul, most powerful man in the land. And he is panicked. Where do you go? Where do you go in 1024 B.C. when you're on the run? Where could you possibly go and hide? Well, class, when you're in that much trouble, when you are desperate, Wheaton Bible Church, it's middle hour, what is the first thing that you do? Oh, three of you said pray. Good job. You get a gold star. The rest of you are like, I should have said prayer. I was going to say it. I was going to say it. You go to pray, and that's exactly what David does in chapter 21. He goes to this city called Nob. You might not have heard of Nob, but at this time, Nob is the priestly city. Not Jerusalem, but Nob. In fact, some scholars think that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was actually in Nob. But all the priests were in Nob. If you wanted to go and worship, you go to Nob. So David goes to Nob in verse 21, and he meets Elimelech, the priest. Now, look at Elimelech's reaction in verse 1. He trembles when he meets him, and he says, Why are you alone? You're the second in command. You always have a little entourage with you. You're by yourself. David, being the most truthful person in the world, says, verse 2, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know about this mission I'm sending you on, which is a total lie right? David's not telling the truth. Now, okay, maybe David's just trying to give Elimelech plausible deniability. It's like, well, if I tell you the truth, and then you know the truth, and then Saul asks you, did you know the truth, and you're going to tell the truth, he's going to kill you. So maybe, but still a lie, all right? I, I shouldn't defend David. He's not asking me to defend him, but he still did it as for my men he says i've told them to meet me in a certain place we're not sure david had many men at this point later on he's going to have a whole bunch of really mighty men like really mighty men but not right now so david what's he need when you're on the run you need basic human needs food i need food he says do you have any bread i need five loaves of bread or whatever else you can find so let me like i've got bread um, you know, as long as you've kept yourself from, from the women on your journey, you can have the bread. David's like, I, I have, of course, yes, of course, yes, just, I need the bread. Now, verse 8 David asks Elimelech, uh, Do you have a spear or a sword? Uh, I, you know, I haven't brought my sword with me. I was in such a hurry to leave. Because that looks weird. If you're like the second in command of, and you're in charge of the army, you, normally you'd have a sword. And Elimelech, verse nine, says, "Well, um, the sword of Goliath is here, the Philistine, the one you killed in the valley. I mean, as if David didn't remember that particular story, the one you killed. Yeah, it's wrapped in a cloth. It's it's over there. You, you can have it." And David's like, oh, "There is none like it. I'll give it give it to me." So David goes to God. He goes to nod. He prays with Elimelech. It's not in here, but that's why you go to the priest. And he's like, by the way, do you have any food? And then do you have a weapon? I, you know, I was in a hurry when I left. Not just any weapon. We've got Goliath's sword. Now, we don't know how big the sword was, but the spear that Goliath used, the tip of it weighed 16 pounds. This sword is, it's awesome. Now David has it. So David's like, yeah, I'm feeling a little unwelcomed here. Elimelech's casting the vibe like he's nervous. I gotta go. And and really, when you're on the run, you don't stay in any one place anytime soon. So David, where do you go next? Where's the one place that you could run where where Saul's not going to look for you? Oh, you go to the enemy of Saul because he's not going to go look. And the last place would be to the Philistines. Not just any Philistine city, but he's going to go to Gath. Gath is the hometown of Goliath. This is how desperate David is. He's wandering in the desert. It's not a a short walk from Nod to Gath. It's going to take a couple of days. Where can I go? Where can I go? I could go to Gath. Um, Okay, Goliath. Khans, Goliath used to live there. Cons, they sing songs about me killing thousands of their people there. Um, Pros, Saul will never find me there. Pros, um, I'm the second in command. Maybe they'll welcome me. Hey, we'd love to have the second in command. Maybe you'll tell us some secrets. Maybe you'll fight for us. So that's what he does. He goes to the city called Gath. Verse 10 David fled from Saul and went to Ashish, king of Gath. But the servants of Ashish said to him, 'Uh, Isn't this David? the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing the songs about? You know, the ones on the radio? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands of us. How many widows of Philistines live in Gath? How many children grew up without their dads in Gath because of David? A lot. Not sure about this plan not sure david david in verse 12 took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Ashish king of Gath he's like this is not going well they're on to me and they don't seem to be warmly greeting me especially cuz i'm carrying the sword of Goliath their champion like i just imagine he's you know david strong man at this point but the sword he's like dragging it behind him you know it's not exactly like hiding under his cloak so david new plan I've now been uh, discovered, and they want to take me before the king, where he will probably execute me as soon as he can. New plan, verse 13. This is a great plan. He pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, marking, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Ashish said to his servants, look at that man, He's insane. Why bring him to me? I, as, am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And he let him go. He let him go. This was like the worst plan ever. I think I'll just act like a crazy person. That always works. Right? And he's drooling. This is David. The one that God appointed to be the future king of Israel, he'll one day be in the same line as Jesus Christ himself. He's he's clawing at things. He's who knows what he's saying, gibberish, and he's. Drill, I mean, he had to have sold this thing right for the king to go like he is. I don't, I can't use him, and and I, you know he's too despicable. He's he's too low to even kill. Just let him go, and David walks out a free man. Those are the liner notes. To psalm 34, all right? Now that you know, let's look at Psalm 34, all right? So flip forward. David's like, that was awesome. I'm going to write a song about this, right? <laughs> it's going to be cool. Psalm 34. I'm going to read the psalm, and I just, I just want you just to remember what we, the stories we just, we just went over, and just let this kind of wash over you. I will extol the Lord at all times, His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come to me, children. Listen to me. "'Teach you the fear of the Lord. "'Whoever of you loves life "'and desires to see many good days, "'keep your tongue from evil "'and keep your lips from telling lies. "'Turn from evil and do good. "'Seek peace and pursue it. "'The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous "'and his ears are attentive to their cry. "'But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil "'to blot out their name from the earth. "'The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. "'He delivers them from all their troubles.' The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, and not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants, and no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Now, Let's unpack this just a little bit. He starts off with, I will extol the Lord. You could, The word really there is bless. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Let's glorify him together. This is a covenant that God, that David is starting off with. I promise, after that experience, I will always, 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 Bless the Lord. Always. That's my promise. Now, we know the future of David. He swerves from this. But on this moment, after what just happened, that's your response. That's our response. When we come through something hard, we say, God, that was awesome. I am never going to forget this time. That's why we write down the Psalms. That's why we study the Psalms, because we do forget, and we need to be reminded. I sought the Lord, he said in verse 4, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears, and those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. This is worship. This is God saying, I didn't do this myself. I, this was not my plan. This was God's plan. He gave this to me, and this is what rescued me, and he is going to get all the credit, and I'm never going to forget this time because we know that when you worship, it seems to be the more you worship, there's this like direct proportion to the uh, largeness of your faith. The more you worship, the more you center on God, and you say, okay, I got a raise this week. I am awesome. no. You got to raise this week because God is awesome in your life. But we forget, and we go home. We tell our buddies, boy, I really killed it. I'm getting the bonus this month. And God's like, you've already forgotten about me. And David's like, I am not going to do that. I'm going to be reminded of this. The more we worship, the more confident we become in our faith. And David is nothing if not confident in the first few verses of this psalm. When I go to God, he will be there for me. Look what he says in verse 6. This poor man, he's talking about himself. This poor man... Because there's nothing more poor than a guy walking through the desert with nothing, not even a sword or any bread. This poor man calls and the Lord hears him. He saves him out of all of his troubles. That's exactly what happened to David. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he will deliver him. It's as if David felt like God had like just created this shield of people around him. Nobody else could see. It was like they just, nobody's getting to David. It's like God said, nobody's touching David. I know you want to kill him, but you're, just, you're not, because I'm God. And that's the confidence that David has. I love that. Now, this very next verse, it's the one our song kind of featured here, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. David's like pleading, taste and see this this requires action. You 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 can't taste something without actually putting it in your mouth. Now, I talk to a lot of families. My wife and I hang out with a lot of families who have kids the same age as ours—ten, nine, and two, six-year-olds—and um, we're we're uh, we're a little insecure in this particular area of dinner, of food at dinner time. Because when I talk to you guys, you tell me that you go to the store and you buy your food, and you plan your menus, and then you spend half an hour, 45 minutes creating these incredible meals. And no matter what you put on the plate in front of your 10 and nine and two six-year-olds, they always say, awesome, broccoli, yes. (laughs) That's not exactly how Laura and I experience dinner in our house. Right, honey? It's not, it doesn't. For us, the process begins around 3.30 in the afternoon when one of our kids will say, what's for dinner? And depending on that answer will dictate how the rest of the evening will go. If whatever we say ends in the word za, dog, or cheese, there will be rejoicing in our family. But if we say something like, Fish, chicken, beans, pork, steak, anything else, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) We haven't even brought the food out of the refrigerator yet, and there are tears coming down. I don't know why none of you else experienced that. It's apparently just the McElwee family. And so Laura and I will make dinner, and there are nights when we kill it. I mean the fish, I should charge the kids extra for the fish. It's that good. We kill it, and it's sitting there, and our kids are, oh gosh, it's pink. I don't eat pink food. If it was white, I would eat it. It's salmon. You know I don't like the salmon. That's because we didn't deep fry it and serve it with ranch dressing. Right? And so we're pleased, just, you're going to love it trust me. Just, just take the, the micro—you know, we, we cut our food with lasers It has to be so small for our kids to eat it. Just stick it in. You're gonna love it. And then, you know, there are times when our kids actually, they eat it, and they're, they're crying while they're eating it, but then they like it, right? Their tongue is like, more. And they don't want to tell us because, you know, they're gonna swallow some pride. So they half cry, half like—they're like—and and we have this thing in our family, they're like, I want to tell you it's good, but then I'll be wrong, so I'm just going to go, uh, and they, but the next time we serve it, they're eating it up, right? And we're all the whole time, my wife and I'm like, "Just try it, you're going to like it. Taste it. See that it's good." And sometimes God puts something on your plate, and he wants you to taste it, and you're like, "No. I can't go there. I can't go there. When we decided to adopt, it was Laura who got that message from God before me. And so it was like serving up like frozen spinach like I used to get when I was a kid. It's like, that's the worst. And it sat on the plate, and Laura's like, we want to adopt. And I'm like, oh, that's not looking good for me right now, right? It took me some time. But now that I've eaten it, I would not have had it any other way. Do you get what I'm saying? And David's like, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. But for too many of us, we're too afraid to eat something because we don't think we're going to like it. We don't think God's going to really be there for us. And so we just say, oh, I'm just going to let it sit there and get cold. Right? Maybe it'll go away. Maybe they'll finally just give up and say, go to bed, forget it. Right? And you're missing out when you do that. David, if nothing else, experienced God in ways that many of us can only dream of because he did the hard things. And too many of us are missing out on a relationship to God and we're wondering why God is not showing up in our life. And it's because God says, I keep putting it in front of you and you just let it sit there. Why are you doing that? Taste and see that the Lord is good. I will be there with you the whole time. So I, this is why we do, I love serving. The reason we love, I love serving, is we don't need you to fill jobs. We don't need you to fill jobs. The reason that we do, we share these opportunities with you is because we feel that by serving, by answering God's call to serve, by stepping out in faith and doing something that, hey, you may be a little uncomfortable with doing, that you will actually grow closer to God through your serving. So the I love serving thing isn't about us just getting you to do something that we need you to do. It's about us seeing you experiencing God by doing something outside, maybe outside of your comfort zone. Maybe for some of you it's just taking something you're already good at and doing it here in the four walls of the church or outside in the world at puente pueblo or out on the mission field or something that's what that's what god's like here's the stuff for you to do it's okay to invite your friends to church it's okay to pray for your neighbor it's okay to love the stranger do these things i'll be there with you taste and see the lord is good now david turns the corner on verse nine and And he's going to teach now. As the song was about God, now I'm going to teach you some things. Look what he said. Fear the Lord, you holy holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. That sounds like a proverb. Fear, the beginning of knowledge is what? It's fear, right? Fear is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7. And, And fear is not like, oh gosh, I'm afraid of you, God, I'm afraid. No, fear is like, I respect and I am in awe of you. It's like if you're standing at the top of a ski hill and it says double black diamond, and you're like, I respect that that sign says double black diamond. I will take double black diamond caution going down this hill, right? It's that kind of fear, a healthy fear, like, oh, I've got to respect this, all right? And God is like, He's the one. We, we, we respect and we are in complete awe of God and fear those who fear the Lord. You holy, fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions, they'll grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord, they gather, n- or they lack no good thing. And then he says, like, come. Look what he says in verse, verse 11. He says, come, my children, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm going to step down here. This is what David would do. He'd say, okay, come on. Come on, everybody. Come. Listen to me. Look what he says, verse 11. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life, whoever of you loves life, and whoever of you desires to see many good days. How many of you want to see many good days? Okay, the rest of you, I'm not sure what you're, why? What are you doing? (laughs) Who wants to see many good days? Okay, good. The rest of you, we're still working on you. Let's just say we want today to be good. We want today to be good. Here's what David says. Keep, verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Huh. Keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Two things, control your tongue and seek peace. Do good. You want to have a good day? You want to have many good days? Simple, control your tongue. Except it's not that simple. It is hard to control our tongues. And it's not just our tongues, because, you know, now our tongues, we do it online, right? Typing, that, those that's like the tongue. They didn't know Facebook back then right? But there are times, and this is where I see a lot of my brothers and sisters get in trouble, is that they just want to tell, I just want to tell the truth. I just want to be truthful, and they need to hear the truth. And so listen, I just want to say, when you want to throw a high and tight truth fastball at somebody, I just want you to ask them to get the catcher's gear on first, because when Christians get in trouble is when we're throwing these truth fastballs to people who don't even have a glove and they're not even looking for it and wham, they're like, what, what did you just smash me in the head, right? Like, I, like at one in the morning, if you feel like you need to give somebody the truth on Facebook, I just want to tell you, go to bed. <laughs> go to bed, all right? You're sitting on the couch and you're like, I got to respond to that tweet right now. Just don't. Control your tongue. James describes the tongue as like a spark in a very dry forest. You could light it up in a second. And David's like, just control your tongue. Control your tongue. Do good. Your best days are the days when you're going to control your tongue and do good. All right? And we can start today. Right, church? Verse 17, the righteous cry out, the Lord hears them, He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Now look, this is wisdom literature. This does not mean that all the good people who follow God never get injured. In fact, we know that that is not the truth. God will not protect you from getting a broken nose, but he will be there to comfort you when it happens. We know this. Look at verse 20. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Well, Chris, he just says, he's, no, I'm not going to get hurt. He's talking about Jesus. To a Jew who understood the Passover, he knows that in Exodus 12 and Numbers 9, that, that the Passover lamb was to be a lamb that was perfect with no broken bones. John 19.36, John takes very great care to say when they pulled Jesus off the cross, when he was dead. They did not break his bones, which was going against custom. They always broke the bones. But because Jesus was the Passover lamb, his bones were not broken. David is writing this song. He's referencing Exodus chapter 12, but he doesn't even know it, but he's talking about Jesus way, 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 way down the road. He's talking about eternity. There is no promise for those who are righteous not to be harmed, and sometimes physically harmed. There is no promise here that that will not happen, but there are promises that God will be with you when it does or if it does. And Christians are harmed all over the world every day for practicing their faith. It could happen. It could happen. Evil will slay the wicked, he concludes. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Look, the evil will slay the wicked. Evil's going to take care of itself. It's going to take care of its own. The wicked are going to be slain By who? By evil. All right? Their deeds are going to get their punishment. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. The very first verse I ever memorized when I was, uh, I became a follower of Jesus when I was about 21 years old. The very first verse, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. There is nothing you can do, follower of Jesus, that will land you in the condemned book. Nothing. And David is promising the same at the end of this psalm. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. It will maybe be tough sledding, it may be really difficult. You're going to find yourself stressed out, especially when you take up the challenge of tasting and seeing what the Lord has for you. It's going to be hard. What David had to do was really hard. Sometimes through David's own bad choices, lands himself in really bad spots. And other times David demonstrates a righteousness and a faith faith in God that we can all learn from. And David promises those who believe in the Lord will not be condemned. This is an eternal promise, an eternal promise. And you can take confidence in that by the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you. He is the only one that can make you righteous. David was not exactly the kind of guy you'd probably invite over for dinner all the time. He was a mixed bag, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. His good works alone did not make him righteous. It was his faith in God. And for us, that means Jesus Christ. And so I just want to urge you, taste and see that Jesus is good. And do so. Do it this morning. Do it while we finish in worship this morning. Just to, You've been looking at it, and I just you just got to taste it. And you will know what so many of us in this room know. Let's pray. Father, we... Um, we need you. We forget, we forget all the times that you have been there for us. We don't even know some of the things you've done for us, and we won't know until eternity comes. But Lord, we forget how you have been faithful to us time and time again. I, I don't know what causes me to forget this when I'm trying to uh, get my mind around doing something big. Uh, but Lord, this, this psalm reminds me of how you rescued David and how you want to rescue us. So Lord, I pray as a church we would do big, incredible, scary things to glorify you in full confidence knowing that you will be with us every step of the way. I pray, Lord, that we will be a church that will constantly tasting and seeing and taking refuge in you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.